Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. Four thousand years ago, a land of strange rituals and savage cruelty. Many of their secrets are still hidden from the eyes of 20th century man. Secrets that protect their dead. Supernatural powers. The mummy, the living dead, bringing terror and death across 4,000 years. He was a high priest of the great god Karnak until one night he attempted the ultimate in blasphemy. He was condemned to guard forever the princess he had loved and protect her from intruders. destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. back to another exciting episode of boobs blood and badasses the hammer horror podcast i am your host dr chris and i'm your co-host ro lauren and tonight we are talking about the hammer film the mummy the first of four not three i think in previous podcasts i kept saying three but there are actually four of these mummy hammer movies and one of them is not quite a mummy movie but we'll get there when we get to it that will be the movie that ro has called Hot Mummy Milf Action. <laughs> but apparently doesn't really have a mummy in it. It's based on a story by Bram Stoker um, and not the three films of Hammer in the beginning have mummies in them, but the uh, fourth one is not as much of a mummy movie as you think. Interesting. I'm excited to get there. Yes. There's also a Peter Cushing YouTube channel that is in honor of everything Peter Cushing does. Did you know that? I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah, he's got a cool, cool little documentary on there about the four mummy movies. It opens up with like a mini movie, and then he takes, and then they finally get into like the crypt of the mummy, and the main archaeologist sits down and stares at the camera and starts talking about the Hammer films. Like this guy has put serious work into his reviews and retrospectives. It's not just, hey, it's me and Ro. Let's talk about fucking Hammer. No, this guy actually put some like time and effort into his shit. Not two people sitting here podcasting at home during a pandemic. <laughs> by the way, I don't want to hear anyone being like, "Oh, but the pandemic." And, oh, you're so, you know, like we're like we are like complete lazy fucks compared to this guy. This guy's got to be at least in his sixties that he looks wow. like doing this. <laughs> That's amazing. This guy is my goddamn hero. He's got several <laughs> videos where he is just reviewing stuff, but there's like a whole little skit and short film prior to doing it wow it's called the peter cushing appreciation society uh the legend of hammer films mummy 
you can find it on YouTube. It came out in 2016, so it's about five years old now. And he goes wow. through, he quickly goes through the Universal Mummy movies, including Abbott and Costello, before he gets to the film starring Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing that we're going to do today. And then he goes over briefly the other films, such as The Mummy Shroud, Curse of the Mummy, and Tomb for the Mummy's Blood of Boobs or something. Um, <laughs> which we will get to. But uh, yeah, so this is the first of these Mummy films. And I had seen this previously years ago and i absolutely loved it i thought this was one of the best hammer movies ever made a lot of people agree and of course it stars hammer's three biggest icons of their franchise terrence fisher peter cushing and christopher lee yeah i was excited to watch another movie with the three of them back um i mean obviously because we're starting a new series again we're going back um, in time a little bit so we've got <laughs> Terrence Fisher and we've got younger Christopher Lee and we've got younger Peter Cushing so I was excited to get back into this and Cushing isn't playing a complete asshole like in the last series of films oh, we no. just watched or the um, the movie where he is like a priest but he's also like the leader of a band of pirates in disguise yeah this is a really this is actually a pretty different role for him in these Hammer films he's just kind of like a dude <laughs> Lee talks about a lot. Uh, this is, again, one of those movies where he is unfortunately forced to not speak. This is not him choosing not to speak like in the Dracula movies because the dialogue mm -hmm. was so bad. But he's completely wrapped up in bandages. And then his face is just caked with makeup. Yeah, and I know he also had some physical issues during this one, which, um, I mean, I guess we'll get into when we get into discussing the plot, but this was not a fun film for him to shoot. He got physically injured. He was also the tallest fucking mummy probably ever recorded in the history of actors to play a mummy. Mm. I mean, you can see how huge he is, especially when he's getting wrapped up later on when we see him mm -hmm. with the guards. Oh, and yeah. He's like a foot above the guard's head. Did you ever see the 2017 Mummy movie with uh, Tom Cruise? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. I feel so bad for the woman who plays the mummy in it because, you know, she's kind of hot. But the movie is such a mess. The other female lead in the movie is just, her character makes no sense whatsoever. Tom Cruise is just too big of a star for that movie. Oh, yeah. Also, that's where they tried to, like, do their whole dark universe thing. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, Russell Crowe plays Dr. Jekyll in it. That <laughs> was a disaster. And he goes through a laboratory. And he's like, look, do you see the hand of the creature from the Black Lagoon? Look, it's the skull of Dracula. What's yeah. this? It's possibly the Invisible Man's wrappings. Oh, God. Oh, my God. And then, of course, they did the Invisible Man last year, just like within weeks yeah. before the pandemic struck. And the Invisible Man was pretty widely regarded a lot of people liked it i mean some people yeah. thought it was very boring but that was a universal monster movie yeah the reason i bring the invisible man up is because hammer wanted to do the invisible man the invisible man is one of the creatures they never actually got to oh wow i wonder if was that because universal said no possibly uh maybe i mean you could kind of do whatever you want with a mummy really yeah well i know for this one they said they came to an agreement with Universal to be able right. to do the mummy films. If you notice, a lot of the names of the mummy characters are very similar that you hear in other things. Princess yeah. Anaka Karis is yeah. the name of the mummy in the other films, not the one starring um, Boris Karloff. Yeah. What distinguished podcaster has also made a mummy movie? Oh, who? You? Me. <laughs> It's called A Mummy Among Us, and it was for a 48-hour film festival. It stars Sarah Michelle, not Sarah Michelle Geller, but the <laughs> Massachusetts actress Sarah Michelle. Oh, cool. um, and uh, who else is in that you might know? Um, adult film star Tiffany Starr. Yeah, Tiffany. Hmm. Best known as the transgender gamer, if you know who that is, on YouTube. Oh, huh, that's cool. Yeah, Tiffany, Tiffany Amber, Tiffany Starr is her uh, adult film name. Oh, okay, yes, I do know who you're talking about. Okay, so she plays a scientist in my movie. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> honestly, it's like a hodgepodge like mix of like actors from the area to make a forty-eight hour film. We, uh, you know, we we had a our our subject was like fish out of water, and I said, "Mummy wakes up in modern day, doesn't know what technology is." They were like, "Good, let's just write it and go." <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've never seen this. No. Oh, so I have no, to send it over to you. Not. It's really short. It's like six minutes long. It won't take you long to watch it. Well, like, send it to me. Uh, send me a link and I'll watch it. Okay. 
we're going to jump right into the uh, first of these four Mummy movies. This is exciting to be on a brand new series of films. Let's jump right into The Mummy with the plot synopsis. The Mummy was first released on September 25th, 1959, directed by Terrence Fisher. It was December 16th, 1959 in the United States. (laughs) Yes. Um, And then as we just discussed, this is the first in the series spanning four films. And our film begins in Egypt in 1895. An Egyptian archaeology expedition finds an ancient badge in the sand. Archaeologists Stephen Banning, Felix Aylmer, and Joseph Wemple, Raymond Huntley, take it to show Stephen's son, John, Peter Cushing, who is resting in a nearby tent because he has broken his leg. They believe the badge indicates that they are close to finding the concealed tomb of Princess Anaka on the basis that the badge may have come from one of the soldiers. They estimate about five days until they can find the tomb. However, they are worried about John's leg having not been treated and therefore probably not going to heal properly. At the entrance of the tomb, they are stopped by an Egyptian man, uh, Mehmet Bey, George Pastel, who warns them not to open the tomb for all who grave rob are cursed. But Stephen and Joseph ignore him and enter anyway. Inside, they find the sarcophagus of the princess. Joseph goes back outside to tell John of their discovery, and Stephen remains inside to find the scroll of life. But as he picks it up, a door in the wall of the tomb opens behind him. Outside, Joseph and John hear Stephen scream, and Joseph re-enters the tomb to find Stephen scared and incoherent. Several months later, and Joseph and John are removing the last of the relics from the tomb. They discuss Stephen, who has been in a mental hospital ever since, and still remains the same. After everything has been removed, one of the Egyptians resealed the tomb with explosives. Nearby, Mehmet offers a prayer for vengeance against those who have desecrated the tomb, and he has got the scroll of life with him. Flash forward to England, 1898. After three years at the mental hospital, Stephen has improved and John goes to visit him. He does not remember John's broken leg, but he does remember that he read the scroll of life in Princess Annika's tomb. He tells John that he brought a mummy back to life and the mummy will kill everyone for desecrating the princess's tomb. John does not believe him, but Stephen warns him that someone has the scroll and that the mummy will be released. Two drunk men leave a nearby pub to transport a wooden crate. At the nursing home, Stephen senses the mummy again and smashes the window just as a horse and cart pass. The crate on the cart starts to bounce, and so the men panic and increase their speed, causing the crate to fall off the cart and into a bog. The police and the men search for the crate, but are unable to find it. Mehmet appears and tells them they were transporting the crate to him at his nearby house, and that had contained ancient Egyptian relics. At the nursing home, the doctor, Willoughby, Willoughby Gray, explains to John that his father is locked in a padded cell for his own safety after his outbreak last night so he doesn't harm himself. At the bog, Mehmet reads the scroll of life to resurrect the mummy, Christopher Lee. He instructs the mummy to seek out those who desecrated the tomb and take vengeance against them. The mummy goes to the mental hospital, breaks through the bars of the window to Stephen's room, and strangles him. Joseph and John return return home to look through Stephen's papers in an attempt to discover who may have wished Stephen harm. They discuss the discovery of Princess Annika's tomb and the point that Stephen lost his mind. John reads the story of Princess Annika's death from an illness on a pilgrimage. In a flashback sequence to ancient Egypt, the body of Princess Annika, Yvonne Furneaux, is anointed in a ceremony overseen by her high priest, Karis, Christopher Lee. Here, uh, her body is taken into, in a procession by Karis to be entombed. Her body is laid to rest in a tomb in the side of a mountain a thousand miles her, from her home, against traditional customs. In various ceremonies over the falling days, slaves and maidens are sacrificed to ensure the location of the tomb remains secret. Karis returns to the tomb alone with the scroll of life. He and Annika had been secret lovers, which was forbidden, and tries to bring her back to life by reading the scroll. 
However, he is caught in the act and sentenced to have his tongue cut out and remain the guard for or remain on guard for eternity at her tomb. He is wrapped in bandages and buried alive in a secret chamber next to Annika in the tomb. Joseph and John think that Stephen possibly lost his mind over the myth in the story of Annika and Karis. At the house, Bay offers a prayer to his Egyptian god and instructs the mummy of Karis to destroy the second of the tomb's desiccators. As the mummy walks through the woods, it is seen by a man, Michael Ripper, who flees to a nearby pub. The mummy bursts through the door of Joseph and John's house and strangles him. John is unable to stop the mummy, so he runs to get a gun. He fires multiple shots, but it has no effect. Inspector Mulrooney, Eddie, Bur Eddie Byron, arrives at the house, and John explains that he believes it was a mummy that murdered Joseph because of Stephen and Joseph's discovery of Annika's tomb. In a flashback, Stephen is shown reading the scroll of life in the tomb and the mummified Karis coming back to life. As Stephen screams, Bay enters the tomb and orders the mummy back into its burial chamber. Bay leaves the scroll. Maruni does not believe John's story about the mummy killing Joseph, saying he wants only the facts. John warns Mulrooney that he may be the next to be killed. At the police station, the man from earlier is brought in, describes to Mulrooney the figure he saw in the woods. He also interviews one of the men who transports the crate and the policeman who searched for the crate in the bog. Bay offers another prayer to his god and instructs the mummy to destroy the last of the tomb's desecrators, John. At his home, John notices that his wife, Isabel, also played by Yvonne Furneaux, bears a striking resemblance to a picture of Princess Annika. John mentions his fears about being attacked by the mummy to Isabel and, she, and tells her to go lock herself in their room to stay safe. John grabs a shotgun, gets ready for the mummy as makes his way towards the house. The mummy breaks in through the windows and John shoots it but has no effect. He then impales the mummy with a spear. The mummy still attacks and starts to strangle him. Isabel runs downstairs here in commotion, and when the mummy sees her, he stops strangling John. He approaches Isabel calmly, and because of her resemblance to Princess Annika, he leaves the house. Mulrooney returns to the house, now believing John's story, and asks John about the Egyptian man living in the house near the nursing home. After Mulrooney leaves, John goes to the Bay's house. Inside the house, he believe, or Bay believes the mummy has killed all three men and orders the mummy to rest before they return home to Egypt. John arrives at the house and strikes up conversation. Bay wonders why archaeologists like John desecrate Egyptian tombs, which were meant to be sealed for all time. And John explains it so they can understand history and civilization. John expresses his opinion that ancient Egyptians believed in worthless gods and acted violently. Bay disagrees as it's part of Egyptian culture and suggests John is ignorant and should be punished. John apologizes and in the process of leaving, notices that he has the seal of Annika's tomb on the table from earlier. Bay returns to pray to his god and apologizes for his failure and promises that John will die tonight. John returns home and he, Isabel, and Maruni Mel Rooney prepare for the arrival of the mummy. Isabel, Maruni, a policeman, and a policeman hide in the woods around the house. Bay and the mummy approach through the woods and attack, knocking out Maruni before entering the house. The mummy attacks John and he fires twice before the mummy starts to strangle him. Isabel runs in and tells the mummy to stop. At first, he's, or she's ignored until John instructs her to let her hair down, so she more res closely resembles Princess Annika. Bay orders the mummy to kill her, but it refuses. He tries to stab her, so Bay tries to stab her himself, um, but the mummy attacks and Isabel faints. The mummy grabs her and carries her to the bog and follow, is followed by John, Mulrooney, and several other men. John calls to Isabel to wake her up, and she instructs the mummy to put her down. Once she is free, the men open fire, and the mummy sinks into the bog water, clutching the scroll of life, and the credits roll. As does most Hammer movies, the credits just roll. <laughs> yeah, it's always kind of abrupt. <laughs> Very abrupt. Uh, right off the bat, are we know who Peter and Chris are. We've gone over to them numerous times. Um, so unless we have any new information about them, which I really don't, because they both unfortunately have passed away. Um, mm -hmm. And I haven't watched Lord of the Rings or Star Wars in quite some time. The only thing I've watched of their material is these films. At the exception of, I recently, I, I did, I can't even believe I didn't realize it, but do you know, have you ever seen the movie Top Secret with Val Kilmer? Yes. 
because I the love old Val man Kilmer. at the library that has the magnifying glass pressed uh -huh. up to his eye. He pulls away, and the magnifying glass eye is still yes. embodied in his head. That's yes. Peter Cushing. Oh my god! I, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. I had no idea. Yeah, it was like one of the last things he did before he passed away. Oh, that's amazing. I love that movie, though. I also completely missed it. In the movie Fright Night, the name of the school that Charlie and his classmates go to is uh, Cushing Lee High. Uh -huh. That's so cute. Yeah, which Peter Vincent is named after what two famous horror icons? Uh, Vincent Price and Peter Cushing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the information new I have about Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so our female lead is played by Yvonne Fernow. It's gonna be. It's gotta be like Fernand. So it's like it's, it's her. Uh, la, la, la. She's from Nord France, so her name's gonna be like Ferno. And mm -hmm. supposedly she's still alive today. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the problem know. is trying to track any of these people down that have been that are st been alive for so long but no longer acting. They don't really have any agents anymore. That's yeah, that's true. You really gotta dig into social media to find out if you can find them. Mm. Especially if they're not going to cons or anything like that. So she was in Frankenstein's Great Aunt Tilly. <laughs> I don't think that was a favorite movie. <laughs> um, she was in the story of the Count of Monte Cristo. I thought the Count of Monte Cristo was a story unto itself, but that's okay. I guess maybe they <laughs> want to differentiate it from the Count of Monte Cristo version that had come out probably prior to that. Yeah. And then we have uh, Inspector Mulrooney, who's our pretty much, you know, other main character, played by Eddie Byrne. He was General Willard in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which one Edra, uh, General General Willard is. Is he is he in the board meeting with uh, with with Cushing and Vader, or is he the guy who delivers the speech about the uh, the Death Star? Um, you know, weak point. He's the uh, um, I don't know, man. He's the it's one like that's with Leia. Yeah, it's like 25 <laughs> years later, so yeah, like, definitely gonna age a lot. This guy was yeah. already you know up there to begin with when he was in this movie in 59. Yeah, I just know he's he's just the he's one of the ones that's with Leia. That's like okay. next to Leia. Stephen Banning um is the uh that's the father, right? That's Peter Cushing's character's father. Yes. Okay. Um because then Joe Banning, as he calls him Uncle Joe is Raymond Huntley. So Stephen mm -hmm. Banning, um who's the first victim of the mummy uh, was in a lot of Shakespearean productions, very well-known, distinguished British actor. The Walrus and the Carpenter is a TV series he was on, which I'm not familiar uh, with, but his uh, IMDb credits go all the way back to 1930. Holy shit. Yeah, guy was definitely up there. Uh, Uncle Joe, whoops, wrong character, hold on. Um, Uncle Joe was played by Raymond Huntley. Uh, he gets strangled by the mummy later on. And a lot of things that I've never seen before. Um, anything that comes to mind. Uh, BBC Sunday Night Play, which I'm somewhat familiar with. Uh, Tales of Mystery. His career prior to this goes back also to 1930. Wow. I knew I noticed that a lot of them in this film are um, old Shakespearean actors together. Like they've all, a lot of them have done a lot of Shakespeare stuff together. Right. Which I thought was cool. The guy I referred to as Fez uh, was the train conductor in From Russia with Love. <laughs> he was also on The Saint, the TV series, uh, Doctor Who, and that's all I got that, of great interest. Uh, oh, he was in Maniac, which is also a uh, Hammer production. He was Inspector uh, Itini in that. Uh, we will probably get to that movie at some point as well. That has nothing to do with the two versions of Maniac that came out later on. Interesting. Poacher was played by Michael Ripper, not to be confused with Michael Ricker. <laughs> say it so fast. Um, he was in, he was Cobb in Taste the Blood of Dracula, and oh. he was Sergeant in Quartermass, Quartermass in the Pit. So we have seen this actor before. And uh, last thing he was in was Revenge of Billy the Kid before he passed away. Police Constable, uh, who the drunk meets later on in the movie, is George Woodbury, and we've met him too. He was the landlord in Horror of Dracula. Oh, interesting. Yes. The landlord who probably kept Dracula's, you know, the, of the, you know, because they find out Dracula's in the wine cellar. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The complete and utter dumb foolery of the whole, like, oh, wait, he's downstairs. Yeah. 
All right. So my notes begin with four pages of notes. In 1895, uh, they're digging up the mummy and they get the warning about the mummy from uh, the Fez guy. Mm -hmm. Because Fezes are cool. Uh, Yeah, I have have a lot to say about this movie. This is one of my, how do I put this? This is one of my niches in a lot of ways. (laughs) How so? Uh, Well, so one of, first of all, I was extremely obsessed with ancient Egypt when I was a child um, because I played a lot of the Shin Megami Tensei games as a kid, and they are very heavy on, um, okay, so one of the things about, if you're not familiar with Shin Megami Tensei games, they're a Japanese RPG series um, where you summon demons, and the demons in those games are... um, creatures um gods mythological beings from pretty much every other culture on earth and a lot of them are jap or are ancient egypt gods so when i was like a little kid and i was playing these games i thought they were really interesting one thing led to another and i was very very into ancient egypt so <laughs> my japanese video games led me to be interested in ancient egypt um and then i'm also extremely into archaeology my husband uh went to school for archaeology he was almost an archaeologist before switching to um for before moving from ohio to florida and i have quite a fascination with history and archaeology of lots of sorts so this is very very interesting for me i have a lot of little things throughout this movie that i was just like what the fuck or like oh good job (laughs) depending on what they did so my notes are also pretty pretty long <laughs> another reason they may not have done the mummy or sorry they may have not done uh the invisible man was there was an invisible man tv series which we've talked about previously having been running at the same time as uh the mummy came out oh whoa and it was british it ran for two seasons oh that's cool this movie had a egyptian uh consultant for the movie i don't know if he was from egypt or not Oh, okay, so that explains a lot of things, because they did, I was fairly impressed for this movie coming out in the time period that it did, for a lot of the accuracies that it did have. You're right. The Egyptianologist for the movie, his name was Andrew Lowe, Um, Mm, and he's he's not credited in the movie, uh, but he's been in other uh, productions where he was either a set dresser which probably helped, uh, let's see, anything I've seen. Witchfinder General is the only thing that comes to mind um, hmm. that I know of that he was in. A young soldier seeks to put an end to the evils caused by a vicious witch hunter when the later terrorizes his fiance and kills her uncle. I'm not 100% certain huh. if this is a Hammer movie, but it is a, it is a drama horror movie, uh, otherwise known as Edgar Allan Poe's The Conquering Worm. Interesting. Yeah, so it might be a Roger Corman movie, but Roger Corman's not the director, so. The Fez guy says, he who robs the graves of Egypt dies. This kind of reminds me of most mummy movies. There's always somebody gonna, you know, give out the ancient curse uh, warning, and then the white people just kind of do what they want anyway, because we're stupid white people. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So I love that for two reasons. I love that (laughs) um, Peter Cushing and his family all have the stereotypical... um, was like uh like colonizer outfit on the the pith helmet and the the all white little safari gear on like we're here to take all of your shit and we don't give a fuck what you say we're using all of these um poc people as indentured servitude or literally slaves to do all of our work while we sit back and whoa 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 whoa. they might be getting paid highly doubt that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean but 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 hold on it was definitely proven that the ancient egypts who built the pyramids were not slaves they uncovered like accounting the egyptians oh, yeah. had an entire payroll system set up you oh yeah no this isn't a dig on ancient egypt this is a dig on white people in the 1800s yes but a lot of people always keep saying the slaves built the pyramids and it's like no that has been oh, disproven yeah. Yeah. The ancient Egypt had a payroll system. You moved a bo- you moved the block, you put the block on to, to, to build the pyramid, you got your two shillings for the day. Come back yeah. to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, no, this was this was 
the worst part uh this is the worst part of archaeology that modern archaeologists are still fighting today and why like current egypt does not let like doesn't really at least at least 10 years ago i don't know if it's changed i've been out of school for a really long time you can't be a white person and like hey i'm gonna go dig in egypt because the egyptian government's like fuck no you're not (laughs) uh no reason you there there was recently i think it was on the news last year it was one of the many jokes like uh show me plagues of egypt for 500 you know like a game show they uncovered a tomb of all these mummies and i don't remember what country it was in do you remember hearing that in the news last year yes and i also remember the sarcophagus juice that people wanted to drink definitely also okay so going back to this chamber real quick before we we got to move along yeah this is the cleanest chamber of any mummy movie i've ever seen and yes i know it's in bright hd (laughs) blu-ray technicolor and i have this on blu-ray but there's no bonus material on this blu-ray the other films released by Screen Factory do have bonus material, lots of bonus material, lots of commentaries too for the other mummy movies. But this one's bought, uh, put out by Warner Brothers, so it's pretty bare bones unless they get around to re-releasing it like they did um, Curse of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. No, so, I agree. And I did read about this too. That was intentional apparently. What? The, 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 apparent, really the chamber of, of Karnas and the princess were yes. so clean and shiny and neat, whereas like you watch the Stephen Summers, Brendan Fraser mummy movies, which <laughs> I absolutely fucking love. Oh, I, I, I don't love care what anyone says. Movie. Brendan Fraser's first mummy movie kicks mm. ass in I love way. Brendan Fraser. Yeah, no, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. But that movie, it's dirty, it's dark, it's, mm-hmm. you know, everything is, you know, covered in, in sand, you know, and cobwebs. It's it's re- except for the chamber room of all the gold. That's all nice yeah. and dirty. But everything in that movie is dirty. When they get to this chamber room, it also just looks really small. And yes, I understand the budget limitations didn't allow them to expand the world that much. But mm-hmm. even when they're walking outside after Dad has fallen to the curse, which we don't really see what happened with him till later on, the mm-hmm. background you can clearly tell is a piece of cloth with a oh paint yes. Yeah, this this movie has some like very serious budget problems as a lot of the early camera ones do, but oh god, it's obvious. <laughs> no, I read that this is intentional though. Apparently the director of photography wanted to what was it? He wanted to create the impression that the tomb had not been opened in thousands of years. So oh. he had crew members climb into the catwalks above the set spray the air with water before each scene so the water particles would descend and they would take all of the dust with them so the air would be clear so he he went crazy with it but i don't we go to the um enger field nursing home which is uh could be a nursing home in london um three years later pass and peter visits his dad and he he briefly uh, talks about the mummy and it doesn't like, he's just, he seems very stark raving mad. Then we switch over to these two barflies. They're on this like horse drawn carriage and they remind me of Laurel and Hardy. And I had to look up Laurel and Hardy and the, there is a channel on Amazon prime, which is like Tubi and a lot of these other channels that stuff is probably dumped on really cheap where you can watch uh curse, um, the blood from the mummy's tomb, the third, the 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 fourth and final film of mm. the mummy films, wh- which I told you about. So if you don't want to get mm. the Blu-ray from Screen Factory, it is free on this streaming channel. They also had on the streaming channel, uh, Laurel and Hardy meet a mummy, <laughs> but it's from 1999. We're not wow. talking about Laurel and Hardy from our great grandparents' time and day. We're talking about like a redo of Laurel and Hardy from 1999, and it looks like a British made-for-TV movie. Wow. Yeah, um, it's really bizarre. I watched like the first five minutes of, of it. They get into some trouble with the library and then they're on to their adventure. It's so silly. But <laughs> I wasn't looking that up. I was looking up the cartoon series from the 90s called Mummies Alive. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's about a teenage boy who uncovers an amulet and he finds out that he is the reincarnation of this ancient pharaoh. And there are the, there's this like evil warlock mummy guy who wants to kill him or take his power or whatever it is 
and then uh, when he backs into the chamber, he, the, he unlocks these four mummy sarcophaguses, and these mummies, uh, like these four, you know, um, stereotypical mummies of uh, different uh, height, weight, and sex jump out, and they like summon the powers of different Egyptian gods, and they basically <laughs> almost become superheroes, but they're still mummies. So there's like a chick. There's a fat guy, there's a tall, skinny guy, and then there's, like, the leader character. <laughs> that sounds hilarious. And they, like, they summon, it's, like, all, like, Power Ranger, like, motions, and, like, the, the, the air and the background is, like, flashing behind them, and then they get, like, body armor, and they have a kick-ass theme song when they transform. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds, like, fun. And this ran for, like, 40 or 50-something episodes. <laughs> Holy shit. So, Mr. Fez has more warnings. And he's up to no good. How can you be the god? Then he's, he calls on Karnas to come. Sorry, he, no, who does he call on? Well, okay, so Karnak. Okay, so he calls him the god of both light and dark. How the hell can yes. you be the god of both light and dark? Well, I think, all right, I think our little antagonist here, he's a little confused, first of all. And I feel very bad for him. But second of all, so Karnak is a real thing in Egypt, in ancient Egypt, but it was a right. place. It was a place called like the most select of places. Think like somewhere as important as like Thebes for, but like instead of ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, very important, very big city. Lots of people would go to worship there. It was like a place for the gods to be, a place for priests to be. So Karnak, I guess they're taking the um, the idea of Karnak and turning it into a god because Karnak is supposed to be where Amun lives, who's the god of the sun. Okay. But he's also the god of, this is where, I, I'm, I'm getting to it. <laughs> this is where god of the sun, he's also the god of like hidden things and like invisibility. So I think when they mean, I think when he's saying things like light and dark, he means like, he means like that. Like, um, all right. So moving on. Um, then our, then Christopher Lee finally makes his debut as the wettest mummy ever because I, I guess in a flashback scene, we'll, we'll just cover the flashback scene real quick. Yeah. Uh, we find out when, after Peter's dad dies, that he tells the inspector what happened, and we get the flashback of Lee in the mummy's crypt, but he's, like, dry, and he looks good, and then Fed mm -hmm. shows up, and he's able to control him. So when we actually first see him in the movie, he is coming out of a swamp completely covered in mud, and he is the wettest, gooeyest-looking mummy until Arnold Vosloo or a Lucasfilm CGI mummy will show up in the 1999 Brendan Fraser film. <laughs> so he's tall as fuck, too. Yeah. And he's lumbering around because Lee got into a, uh, had an accident and injured his leg. So yes. him wobbling around on this set is completely authentic and real, which and is great he, for being a mummy. Oh, yeah. And then he injured himself two more times while filming this. Yeah, his shoulders and stuff. Yeah. So, when he, like, yeah, right when he goes to kill, right before when he goes to kill Peter Cushing's dad, he, like, breaks into his padded cell or whatever the fuck, and he, like, has to bust through the, like, bars like a jail cell bar right and it's like the and, muddiest nastiest entrance ever which probably was yeah, obviously and, even back then for any type of pathology or yeah. you know clues and dusting you know that stuff did exist back then yeah and in he's like, a tiny regard and don't forget this is not 1959 this is 1895 right uh 1898 excuse me so they still did have investigations to look for clues mm -hmm. This probably destroyed any clues. Oh, yeah. We didn't and have him, DNA testing yet. <laughs> yes. And I mean, his the he has to break into a window that's like, it looks like a floor up, or at least a good couple feet up. Oh, my God. As tall and, as Lee is, at seven yeah. feet. <laughs> and, yeah. And he apparently, Lee, um, dislocated his shoulder because he actually, I, I guess some dumbass well, well, hold on, set, on. No, 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 no. He, he doesn't dislocate his shoulder. I was told he doesn't dislocate his shoulder until he does his Jason Voorhees entrance where he just bursts through and kills the uncle by bursting the door. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's that one. That's when he dislocated his shoulder, which I can't, I yes. can't find great pictures of online. I decided to just pause the Blu-ray, turn off the yes. lights. Because if you yeah, turn off the lights, if yeah. you turn off the lights, 
Uh, if you're trying to take a picture of something on your TV that you can't find great pictures of online, make sure you turn off all the lights other than the TV because your camera on your cell phone or any camera is going to turn it blue. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, so he dislocated his shoulder then. And then when he goes to pick up Isabel later in the film, he throws out his back. So he's just all busted up in this film. Um, we get the history of the princess and we get a flashback to 2000 BC and we get a long flashback sequence, which is all very colorful is mm -hmm. really quickly. Uh, how accurate is any of the stuff in the flashback sequence? Well, they got the uh, Other than white people playing Egyptians. Oh yeah. That was like, well, that's interesting. The princess looks awfully fucking white. Um, they she got, should be like, like, I don't know, African, black, brown, tan. She should look like what Egyptians look like right now. <laughs> uh, but, so you know. Tan. <laughs> yeah. Um, they did get the names of a lot of the people correct, which I thought was awesome. Shout out to my favorite Egyptian goddess, Hathor. Um, and they did get some of the of the mummification stuff right like that it takes there's oil special oils that it takes 70 days that you've got a shit ton of different priests doing different parts um but i mean for some reason i guess you know gotta keep it gotta keep the rating down you know they didn't like dig out her brains and you know take out all of her organs and stuff they right just left her be pretty um, but, you know, the ideas were there, and I was very surprised. They did a really good job with keeping um, the the names and the and what they did and what the um, – so that, that was good. They did a pretty okay job, obviously, for what they could do. The makeup for this movie was done by a distinguished makeup artist. His name is Roy Ashton, and I think he did a phenomenal job uh, mm -hmm. with Lee as the, you know, muddy mummy and the more dry mummy. Oh, yeah. Uh, he also worked on The Damn Pirates of Blood River, The Devil Ship Pirates, uh, War and Remembrance, The Reptile, Rasputin, The Mad Monk, The Devil Rides Out, The Plague of the Zombies, Die, Die, My Darling, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, which we will get to. Uh, another film we covered, The Evil of Frankenstein, The Kiss of the Vampire, which if you listen to our podcast was the last episode before this one, The Phantom mm -hmm. of the Opera, Night Creatures, another movie that we just covered, actually the last movie we covered last year, The Curse mm -hmm. of the Werewolf, a movie we will get to, one of the two werewolf movies I believe that Hammer did, The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, The Brides of Dracula, which never had Yay. Dracula in it, and many, many more. The Hound of the Baskervilles, which the only reason we're going to cover that is because Lee and Cushing are in it. So, <laughs> and it's just like, nope, might as well do it anyway, because, uh, why? Because A, Terrence Fisher directed it and stars Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, um, at, and uh, Cushing plays Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Why Another... not? Why wouldn't we cover yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, the, even though it's not really a horror movie, it's more of a mystery. The poster is pretty badass. It's got the giant head of the hound in the Baskervilles with oh, blood cool. dripping out of its mouth. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just think the other part that was interesting was the whole love part because. Uh, also yeah, and they kind of repeat that in The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Yeah, well, and I mean, I was Googling that because I was, beca uh, because of the Brendan Fraser version, I was like, okay, is this just like a white people thing? And I really couldn't find a distinct answer. I did find, all I could really find was that in, uh, so there's like an unbelievable amount of different types of priests, but narrowing it down to the type of priest that Karis probably was for the princess they could have totally fucked. They could have totally fucked. He would have just had to go through uh, different rituals to be cleansed, and she would have had... But although, maybe it was on his... It, I think they were positioning it in a different way. They were making it... To, in my mind, they were making it seem like it was him fucking up by them having sex, but maybe it was her. Maybe she shouldn't have been the one to, like, fuck a priest. But it had nothing to do with the fact that he was a priest. Like... It just uh, has to be with the fact that a woman can't do what she wants and the man's putting well, her down. No, nah, ancient Egypt was really cool with women being in power. Like, oh, there's this good. amazing line from a, uh, a historian, an ancient historian from um, Rome, who, when he traveled to Egypt, he said, the um, Egyptian women stand up to pee, meaning that their women <laughs> are just as powerful as their men because gotcha. they yeah so it was i think it was just maybe more that she might 
maybe she was supposed to be with somebody else because she's a princess, but it literally doesn't matter that he was a priest is what I was trying to get at. Uh, it was just like a little side bit. And the time frame, I don't know, earlier they said it was like 19th or 20th dynasty, which would put them in like uh, the 1200 BC. But then the flashback was like 2000 BC, which is quite a huge difference in time. And also the way that the pharaohs would be doing all of these things. So like these little details, just they dig in my brain a little bit. It's just hard. For, it's hard for me to separate sometimes. We fade back to reality and John is still trying to figure out. John, by the way, is Peter, for anyone listening, Peter, John, Peter Cushing's character's name is John. We usually just refer to him as Peter Cushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, still trying to figure out why his dad went mad and Fez still has control of the mummy and he sends him to kill the infidels. That's what white people are, the infidels. A drunk sees the mummy and goes off to tell the police officer. <laughs> the police <laughs> officer is like, you're a wino, get the hell away from me. The mummy <laughs> then has his best entrance ever, which I totally think was recopied in Friday the 13th, the final chapter, when Jason just burst through the door. The mummy did it in 1959, Christopher Lee. It just yes. like blows the door. He doesn't blow the doors off the hinges and smithereens like Jason did, but he <laughs> knocks them off their hinges and he goes to immediately kill Uncle Joe, yeah. uh, bats Peter Cushing aside, and Cushing gets six shots off, hits him twice, but we can't tell if he hit him any other times because it's just Lee shooting at the camera. Uh, sorry, it's just Cushing shooting at the camera in Lee's direction. But at least they made movie logical sense where it's a six-gun, six-bullet revolver. He didn't fire any more than six bullets. So yes. <laughs> it wasn't just like, bang, 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 bang. <laughs> They discuss yes. what kills their... They, <clears throat> then uh, Lee has to meet with the constable and he discusses what killed his father. The description is of a bandaged man. Earlier in the scene, we uh, have a kind of a press conference and they said that uh, it, the, the crime of the killing of the father was by a homicidal maniac. And that's <laughs> who they're on the look for. Not realizing, of course, it's a reanimated mummy, which they all accept later on in the movie when everyone starts shooting at the mummy. One of the best depictions of a mummy in anything ever is probably the episode of Scooby-Doo where the mummy wants his coin. And it's so fucking creepy. He's got the blacked out eyes. Coin. Yes. Coin. Uh, he does like this movement when he's like walking. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the guy from the Curse the Cowardly Dog episode with Return no. to Lab. <laughs> I, I'm not, I, I, I'm familiar with Courage the Calorie Dog, but I don't know the reference enough to say it. But mm. the, the Scooby-Doo thing always reminds me of that. It's from the very first season of Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. The Scooby-Doo, where, you are, where are you? Where it was like really dark, I always thought. Scooby-Doo would come along with a yes. nail and a hammer and nail the mummy's bandages down. Yes. <laughs> I love, I love Scooby-Doo. So yeah, I totally, totally know what you're talking about. I, I, Cushing recaps the events from we saw earlier, plus the events that we already discussed with how the mummy comes back and then Fez takes control of the mummy. We see the Lee mummy is less gooey uh, in that scene as well. Fez shows up and commands Lee to stand down uh, when the mummy uh, attacks Cushing again and Cushing gets a shot off and then stakes him with a spear, which if you look at the movie poster, the people are shining a flashlight through him and Mm -hmm. they explain in the uh, uh, retrospective I talked about that you can watch on YouTube that they purposely did that because of the artwork in a lot of the storyboards kept showing light shining through the mummy. So they had to create a hole through the mummy's body to match like it is on the poster. Oh, that's cool. I, re- I think I read that it was Cushing's idea to do the spear thing within the film itself because he loved the poster so much. <laughs> Fez says he's praying to the living mummy when he says that. I think maybe that's where Marvel Comics years later, when they were allowed to do dead creatures once again, came up with the idea for the living mummy, which was an actual comic book in the Marvel Comics pantheon. Hmm. Don't know where that character is today, but yeah, he was part of the 70s horror zeitgeist of like Son of Satan, Blade the Vampire Hunter, Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night, the Monster of Frankenstein. Maybe we'll see the living mummy show up in, uh, you know, any of the Marvel stuff that we got coming. We got Blade coming. 
I mean, they're not really touching the horror stuff just yet, but we do yeah. have Doctor Strange's sequel coming, so who knows? Peter gets ready for battle. Uh, the mummy. Oh, oh yeah, Miss. The mummy sees the girl and walks past her. Later on, Peter is looking at old picture drawings of the princess, and with the our beautiful maiden's hair down, she looks just like the princess, which yeah. is in every freaking version of anything to ever do with a mummy going after a chick. It's I even would... in an episode of Alvin and the Tripmunks. The the mummy comes back and sees um, uh, Bridget or whatever the female lead yeah. that name is and thinks that's his princess. Never mind, it's a different species of animal. <laughs> yeah, well, I have uh, my my notes say two things in that part. One was Christopher Lee's face when he looks at her is so fucking sad. I was my heart it it breaks for you, bro, because he just looks at her in the face and he just looks so pathetically sad, and then he leaves, and I felt so bad. But then also, immediately, I was like, the arrogance. The goddamn fucking arrogance to do this. (laughs) The biggest problem with Lee's mummy is, unfortunately, Lee's eyes. They're too human. They don't look like they've been buried for 2,000 years or 3,000, 5,000 years. How many years did we say? 2,000 years, right? 2,000 years. Unfortunately, no. It just, it doesn't look right at all yeah let me tell you your eyes start to deflate after a couple hours being dead yes so that's unfortunately the worst part of this entire movie is the mummy's eyeballs take away so much enjoyment i can't get it out of my head unfortunately um (laughs) so the mummy shows up again and lee gets a beat down on christopher on peter cushing and then but the woman's able to get him to stop and that's when cushing tells her to put your hair down and then he picks her up and brings her to the swamp. And that's when everyone finally gets in on the action and starts shooting at the mummy. And she's able to get the mummy to put him down, put her down before she gets like muddied up or whatever. What the hell was he going to take her? I, I don't know. Was he just going to die with her? Like, what was the plan? They just were going to die together? Which he should have done. If that was the fucking plan, he should have done that 4,000 years ago, which was, which I had in my notes. It was like, hey, you fucking loser, just kill yourself. In the Brendan Fraser film, ancient Brendan Fraser film, it's a it's a ceremony that he wants to perform yeah. to reinsole like who he believes the re- reincarnation, which right. is then completely ruined in the Mummy Returns when it's like, oh right. no no, it's not it's not Rachel Weisz, it's this <laughs> other chick that looks like yeah. my betrothed <laughs> because like, that actress wasn't available yet. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's like, dude, ancient Egyptians, they believe in the afterlife. That was like the whole point of the mummification process, and like, right. <clears throat> uh, just. She's dead. Kill yourself. Be the, with her in the afterlife. The best death of the movie belongs to when uh, the mummy kills uh, Fez, breaks his back like Bane on Batman. No, I was <laughs> just, just saying. Cuts to her face going, <gasps> and then was, you know exactly his back was just snapped. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude. They take out everyone again. Basically, everyone gets in on the action, shooting the mummy to death, I guess. Yeah. I, I, t- you're already dead. I don't understand how the bullets... Maybe it's the broken heart of your woman not wanting you. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know because maybe it's because Fe- maybe it's because the Egyptian guy like can't give him orders anymore because bullets weren't working at all ever. Right. The entire movie has great music performed by Franz Risenstein, who mm-hmm. also did Curse of Sorry, Circus of Horror, and that's pretty much the only other movie on here you would probably ever watch. Uh, he's very short career, but he did this like his he did this one movie, The Mummy, uh, which is not too bad with the 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 score. I think. Yeah, I liked it. The camera operator worked on a lot of films we've already talked about before, like The Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Frankenstein, as well as Revenge of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula, The Camp on Blood Island, The Crimson Blade, The Secret of Blood Island. He was director of photography for over forty films. And then the movie has its roll credits and abruptly ends. And that's pretty much the end of it. I do have an entry in a book, maybe you can see on camera, about the mummy. During the new, uh, let's see, the the third of Hammer's big monster remakes, because this came out after Dracula and Frankenstein, Mm -hmm. once again reunites directors Fisher, scriptwriter Jimmy Sangston, which I forgot to mention, and stars Cushing and Lee. And after the unconvincing opening scene set around an Egyptian dig, the action moves to England where the reanimated mummy of high priest Carnus, Lee, almost unrecognizable, 
starts mm -hmm. murdering the members of his expedition who desecrated his 4,000-year-old tomb. I thought it was 2,000, but that's okay. Of the princess. Cushing gives his usual fine performance as archaeologist John Banning, and he's aptly supported by veterans Almer and Huntley, plus Hammer regulars George Pastel, Michael Ripper, and George Woodbridge, stuntman Eddie Powell. Apparently, a continental version was prepared by producer Michael Karras, containing some mild nudity and extra gore. This was adapted into a comic strip format in Howls of Horror, number 22, in 1978. And yes, so this entire movie was adapted into a Hammer comic book. And the wow. other mummy movie we will get to the blood also had a uh hammer titan sequel from the same company that put out the uh captain chronos comic book that we talked oh, about cool that is all the notes i have here about the mummy did you have anything else what uh what did the posters look like in the book that i got you yeah uh let me look for that and i do have i had so i did sort of have um the conversation between 59 okay the conversation between uh Cushing and um, the Egyptian guy who, <laughs> yes, when they were in uh, his house, when Cushing was playing med mental hula hoops with him. Yes. Yes, there was some words said that I was just shocked to hear. Ha, ah, yes. Oh, I see the poster now. That's so cool. I get it. Yes, I see the impaling idea. Definitely. Um, yeah, no, Peter Cushing came in being very, very British. Um, this, is the one, this is the book I have, by the way. Oh, okay. Oh, neat. Yeah, Peter Cushing came in being extremely British, saying that ancient Egyptians were ignorant and unintelligent oh. because they believed in worthless gods and their history is filled with senseless killing and blood. And I was like, oh, okay you colonizer did you not know that british people also believe in uh worthless one god and also your entire history is filled with war and blood and that you colonized like half the fucking known world but okay all right you're just being racist now <laughs> i was just fucking dumbfounded at that conversation but i'm i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure it was Peter Cushing's character purposefully trying to get a rise out of, uh, out of the, our antagonist. But I don't know. This film is from the 60s, so I'm not really sure. It was difficult for me to get through that. <laughs> it says that uh, Sangster's mummy script owed far more to the Universal 1940s sequels, which we mentioned, which had nothing to do with Putnam's original film from 1932, which all these films, by the way, are on the Universal Mummy Legacy Collection. Besides, as Terrence Fisher explained in an interview conducted on the set, Hammer Horror had its own unique parameters. We don't go in for monsters from outer space, man-devouring vegetables, or killer spiders the size of locomotives, which was all the rage in the 50s. They were doing the atomic testing age monsters, Godzilla, Gamera, Gamera <laughs> came in the 60s, but Godzilla, obviously mm -hmm. the biggest monster of all time, came oh, yeah. out in the 50s. Uh, because of the whole atomic testing, radiation, Japanese atomic bomb stuff. And mm -hmm. then we also had like giant spiders, giant, you know, grasshoppers, giant stuff was big. Or yeah. stupid plant creatures created by Roger Corman, which were very silly. And Hammer <laughs> wanted to ground their monsters as always human or near human. Dracula, Frankenstein, Creature, and the Mummy, they are believable for that reason, far more terrifying. Believable? Okay. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> There's a good publicity shot of uh, the mummy breaking through the window and then one of him reaching with the spear through his body for our lovely uh, female victim. Um, so for the blood in this movie, there's very little of it, but yeah. there's a cool kill with the back scene. The mummy's yeah. pretty dried up, so you don't really see much blood with him. The mm -hmm. boobs in this movie, pretty much non-existent. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe there's some... Okay, so there's like a three seconds with... Um... Princess Annika, she's some side boob when she's side getting boob. mummified. And we then will definitely get to some serious booby action later on yeah. in the other films. <laughs> yeah. And, I can't um, and then the badass of this yeah. movie, who should it go to? Good question. No one's really a badass. I guess Cushing, because he shoots the most. Yeah. I mean, he's the one who actually does the most damage to the mummy. Other than the, other than, um, oh, I can never keep pronouncing it. Yvonne Furneaux. Breaking yes. the mummy's heart. <laughs> yes, emotionally, she does the most damage. Yes, she does. <laughs> she rejects him. Um, 
I'm just not into necrophilia. You have to understand that. Proving once again, nothing on earth is more powerful than pussy. That's the real takeaway from this movie. The power of boners overcomes everything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but I don't understand how a 2,000 or 4,000, depending on which version we're talking about, penis would even still work. I don't know, man. That's all the time we have here on this episode of Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, the Hammer Horror Podcast. Join us in a couple we- in, a, in a few weeks as we will be covering Curse from the Mummy's Tomb in the next sequence of Mummy Films. You can find us on the Dorkening Network as well as our other episodes. Uh, make sure you check out the awesome coffee by the Dorkening's Coffee Spo- uh, pod- uh, Sponsor Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at ChrisDSAV. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rolorn, R-O-L-0-R-E-N. And you can send us an email with any questions, updates, or comments from anywhere in the world, uh, thatradiohorror at gmail.com. And again, we'll be back in a few weeks with The Curse from the Mummy's Tomb. Woohoo!